So how does the government get all the information they have about us? Yeah, let's talk about that. Instead of focusing on winning arguments, we're teaching the basic fundamentals of sales and marketing and how we can use them to win in the world of politics, teaching you how to meet people where they're at on the issues they care about. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show. Well, hey there, folks. Brian Nichols here on The Brian Nichols Show, and thank you for joining us on, of course, another fun-filled episode. I am, as always, your humble host, joining you live from our BNC studios here in lovely eastern Indiana. Don't let outdated prospecting techniques put your business at risk. We're hitting a recession, folks. Don't get stuck behind. Get better sales and messaging tips over at BrianNicholsConsulting.com. Folks, yeah, if you've been paying attention to what's been going on with the releasing of all this information from the the January 6th uh, videotapes that had previously been maintained behind closed doors, we're learning a lot of folks who they realize not only was what we were told as a narrative was not the case, but also that the narrative is now actually crumbling, but it raises some questions. How did the government know about all the specific people at the J6 hearings or uh, the J6 uh, protests without actually knowing them specifically? Well, to join us today, talk about how government has been digging deep into the different areas. Well, they probably shouldn't be joining us from the Libertas Institute, the one and only Connor Boyack returns to the Brian Nichols Show. Connor, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us. And I'm looking forward to digging into all things privacy related because, yeah, that's definitely a topic of conversation that's raised up more recently. We've just watched here as the January 6th protesters who they are seeing the truth, right? And really, it's the truth as seen through the eyes of CCTV because Tucker Carlson, he got the actual raw tapes from Kevin McCarthy. And now we're seeing all the stuff that we were told, well, we really shouldn't be paying attention to, but also it opens up a lot more questions for privacy concerns. But Connor, before we get there, do us a favor, introduce yourself once again to the Brian Nichols Show audience and this awesome organization, the Libertas Institute. Yeah, so I'm what I like to call a full-time freedom fighter. I run a nonprofit where we do education and advocacy, trying to get laws changed. We've changed over 100 laws in our home state and across the country and about a dozen of them are innovative, first of their kind in the whole country. So we're kind of a high impact think tank, if you will, trying to figure out ways to shrink the government, increase our freedom. Um, and, uh, and so it's been a lot of fun. We've done this for about a decade. I'm most known publicly for the Tuttle Twins books, which have sold millions of copies and help uh, young kids learn about the ideas of freedom, help parents also learn about the ideas of freedom because many of them <laughs> never learned in school as well. So entire families are kind of coming into the uh, libertarian world and understanding the ideas of freedom. And uh, that's been a fun project through the, the Teletwins. So that's, I spend my days just figuring out how to persuade more people to appreciate, support, and defend the ideas of freedom. Oh, man. Well, you need that right now more than ever. And thank God you're doing doing it through the route of education, right? And you're doing so in a fun way. The Tuttle Twins books, they're engaging, they're fun to pick up, and they're fun for parents to read to their kids. Now, I'm expecting my first here on the way, so Tuttle Twins will be definitely part of our library, and I recommend anybody out there who has kids, or heck, you're just trying to figure out some of this Liberty stuff, maybe you want to start quite literally with the basics, go ahead and grab the Tuttle Twins, but we're not here to talk about Tuttle Twins, unfortunately, today, but hey, I will say we did have a great episode back a couple months ago where we talked all things Tuttle Twins, so we'll include that here at the end of the episode, but today, Connor, you're joining us to talk about not only some wins that you guys have had as, at the Libertas Institute talking about privacy laws, but also a lot of concerns that have been raised up specifically when we're talking about the January 6th protests. Now, there's a lot here behind the scenes in terms of kind of leading up to where we are today in this conversation. So do us a favor, set some context, set some groundwork in terms of what happened, 
How did we get here? And what's the implications of what's going forward right now? Well, I think everyone knows what uh, January 6 refers to. It's this uh, occasion when a lot of Trump supporters were going to protest uh, perceived election fraud, and they all showed up at the Capitol. It was pe- largely peaceful protests. Um, and then there was a you know minority of uh, situations and individuals that you know caused some problems. And then the Democrats have been making a big deal about how it's the greatest insurrection you know since the Civil War, the biggest threat to our democracy since the Civil War. So there's been a particular narrative that's been put out there, as you alluded to earlier. Tucker Carlson got access to some of the raw camera footage, dispelled some of that narrative, showed that we've been lied to. Gee, we're all shocked by uh, these people in Congress who've had this agenda. What I find interesting, though, is uh, I'll use my friend, uh, I'll just use his first name because uh, I don't have permission to, to share his story publicly. His name's Scott. And he's kind of a Trump supporter. He was very concerned with what was happening. And so he was there that day. He's a successful entrepreneur. He's not a rabble rouser or anything, but he wanted to go and, and just be part of those events and show his support for uh, an issue that he was really concerned with. So he was there uh, the day of January 6th. He didn't go inside the building. He wasn't part of the you know rowdy crowd that was causing any issues. Uh, but while he was still in D.C., his wife called him and two FBI agents showed up at his house on January 7th <laughs> and interrogated his wife without him present or an attorney or anyone else and started questioning her and everything. And, you, you know, you might say, OK, big deal. But this was happening across the country. And, of course, any interaction between the government and an individual, if you got someone who talks back, if you got someone who's, you know, not willing to put up with crap from FBI agents or whatever, those altercations or those those circumstances can lead to altercations that lead to significant problems. So we want to minimize or eliminate the contacts between the government and the individual. And so even to that, I say, well, yeah, sure, they showed up at his house, they interviewed his wife, big deal. Uh, but anytime that type of thing happens, they can, you know, see something, they can manufacture charges, they can uh, arrest you for, you know, disorderly conduct or interfering with an investigation and all kinds of, of crazy things. But the question is, how did how? those FBI agents show up at his house within 24 hours of him being in D.C.? And it's because of what's called a geofence warrant. Now, as I understand, Brian, you're kind of in the telecom space. You understand the tech side of how this works. For those who don't know, your phone, obviously, you know, is tracking everywhere you go. That's how we can use our maps. And you can use find a friend and all these technologies to track people. Well, the cell phone companies and the the providers like Google and others, they preserve all of that data in a database. That means on their computers, they know everywhere you've been or rather where your device has been for years. And they harvest all this information, which has its interesting use cases in the market where you can advertise to people different ways. I think that's something you're familiar with as well. But in a government context, it allows the FBI to go to Google or go to Verizon and say, hey, here's this map, this geofence around the U.S. Capitol. We want to know every single device that was within that border, within that geofence on this particular day during this particular time. And they scoop up all of these people's information, including my friend Scott, who weren't guilty of any crime. They weren't even alleged to have been committing a crime, and yet they get uh, scooped up in this investigation. And that's the trouble with government having access to not just surveillance, which we all know about with the NSA and everything else, but this historical surveillance where they can go back in time and they can go to these companies and say, we want to know anyone who was there on that day and that time. That really empowers the government in scary new ways. And except for a law that we just got passed in Utah last week, 
Uh, there are no laws around the country governing this. And so it's kind of a wild, wild west of government agencies, law enforcement agencies using this technology in this way. Do you ever watch political candidates and think, I can do better than this? Or maybe you're curious about how to get involved for local and state offices, but you just don't know where to start. Well, have no fear, because the Libertarian Party of Illinois is holding a four-hour online candidate training course this Saturday, March 11th, split into two two-hour sessions. This course is perfect for those new to running for office, as well as experienced candidates who want to brush up on their skills. And the course is covering everything from planning your campaign to getting out the vote. And the two expert trainers are Russ Clark and yours truly, who are teaching you about your campaign mechanics and messaging. And the training is designed to be fun and engaging because, guys, we want you to get the most out of it. So if you're interested, sessions again are Saturday, March 11th with Session 1 starting at 10 a.m. Central and Session 2 at 4 p.m. Central. Both sessions should be attended and experienced by new candidates and old candidates alike. And the cost to attend is a $25 donation to the Libertarian Party of Illinois. So register now and take the first steps towards running a winning campaign at briannicholshow.com forward slash L-P-I-L. You would think just at the onset, hearing what you just outlined, that the telco companies would say, um, no, this is our customer's private information. And we're going to say, nah, thanks, but no thanks, Mr. Government. Why Why is that not the response, Connor? Uh, for some companies, it is. For other companies, it is not. So some companies have a policy to comply with any lawful government request, which includes just a subpoena or a request from the government. Other companies are a bit more, uh, shall we say, reluctant to give out that information without a warrant. So then you say, well, why are judges authorizing a warrant for this at all? This is kind of a split issue across the country, because think of it this way. Why do we have the Fourth Amendment, the, the constitutional amendment that protects our right to privacy? Why do we have that? We have it because the founding fathers were pissed off at the British redcoats who would write themselves what were called writs of assistance, yep. basically permission slips, where they would say, oh, I'm going to search this whole block in Boston, you know, and they would be the judge and the jury and everything else. And they would just authorize themselves to do these broad searches. And the founding fathers were pissed at it. They hated that, how invasive it was. So in the Fourth Amendment, they said that your search has to be particularized to a place or a person or a thing, right? You can't just say, I want to search a whole block. You got to say, I want to search that home because I have credible reason to believe that there is evidence of a crime there. You have to be specific. And that is kind of the beauty of the Fourth Amendment as we have it today. So then why in the world are some of these judges across the country authorizing these geofence warrants, which are not particularized in any way at all, because there is no suspected individual. What they're saying is, we want to go into Google's database or Verizon's database or whoever, and we want to know everyone who is there on this day. It, it's a broad search. It's a fishing expedition. It is not a, a focused, particularized search. And so we think there's a lot of constitutional problems with it. Some companies recognize that and they're saying, look, you know, whether a warrant is signed or not, um, you know, that's up to the courts to figure out the constitutionality, but we're not going to give you information without a warrant. Uh, but other companies, and, and think of it this way, uh, a lot of cell phone companies, they'll do what are called tower dumps. Yep. Where every time you're driving along the freeway, your cell phone is pinging different towers, cell phone towers, and then relaying calls or texts through those towers. Well, you can go to a specific tower. If you think that, hey, we think a criminal passed by this tower within a you know 10 mile radius or whatever, you can go to the company that owns that tower and get a download of every phone that pinged that tower, the time, the distance, the triangulation, all this kind of stuff. So this data is just in abundance and it's a concern when the government has unfettered warrantless access 
Uh, but even we question whether a warrant can be given for some of this stuff, given that it's not a particularized search. It's it's like giving a, a golden slip to the government to say, do what you want when you get all this data, because they can quite literally go through years, years and years of your personal information, where you've been, who you've been around, because then they can just start triangulating, right? They say, they find a couple other people. Yep. Oh, they, they were at the same place at the same time. Oh, well, we're going to start putting A plus B equals C together. And, and that leads down some very dark paths. And I guess, Connor, I mean, <laughs> that leads to the question, what can we do to fight back? I mean, you guys are fighting the good fight there in Utah, but unfortunately that's not good enough for the other 49 states out there. So what more can we do to try to, to protect ourselves, but also play a little defense while also playing offense? Yeah, that, that's a critical question. Uh, so as I mentioned, we just got the first law in the country passed restricting these geofence warrants. Our goal is to now shop this around to other states. We've got partners across the country that we work with, both organizations and legislators themselves, and try and get them to pass similar legislation this year and next, with the eventual goal, probably when we have a better administration at the federal level in place, of, uh, of getting Congress to pass a similar law and put some guardrails around how this technology is used. What I would point your listeners to, if they don't already know, there's a website called spn.org. It stands for State Policy Network, spn.org. And what this is, is it's the coalition, the national coalition of, you might say, right of center uh, civic groups, think tanks, nonprofits that are working on freedom in your state at a state level. So you can go to spn.org, you click directory, you'll see the map. You find your state, and then you can see which groups are working in your backyard. Reach out to them. Join their email list. Go to their events. Ping them on social media. Say, hey, do you guys work on privacy? I heard about this geofence thing or whatever your issue is. You can connect with these organizations working in your backyard to both play defense and play offense. I want to mention one important thing about this policy because it has a lot of restrictions for when government can use this and for which crimes and, and so forth. One of the most important things I feel that we did in this law that we just got passed was prohibit the government from doing what's called uh, uh, appending data. Mm. So think of it this way. If I get a bunch of data from uh, from a cell phone company and it's got cell phone numbers, not their name, not their address, but it's got cell phone numbers and it's got all this other stuff. Well, I can take that data set and I can match it against any number of other data sets that I might have access to, either in the government or the private sector, that have phone number data. And I could join the two data sets and suddenly I've enriched that first data set that I got from the Verizon or, or T-Mobile or whoever. I've enriched it by joining it with this other data set. Yeah. And that's how the government can take this so-called anonymized information or whatever, and they can enrich it and expand it so that they know all kinds of things about the people involved. Our law that we just got passed prohibits the government. When they get this kind of geofence data it's narrowed, it's it's limited, it's restricted, and all this kind of stuff. But then even then, even when they get this narrowed data that they're more focused on a specific time, specific place, keeping it very tight and narrow, even then, we prohibit them from doing any type of data appending or enriching or anything like that. They can just look at the data that they got and try and make sense of it. They can't try and just you know, do all these merges between databases and try and create this social credit system, if you will, of just mass government surveillance with all these different databases. So to me, that's one of the most important things that we've done. This is now the gold standard. Frankly, it is the only standard because no state has done this yet. And so to your question, I would invite your listeners to go to spn.org, find the group in your state, go connect with them, support them. Um, and then if this issue or whatever issue matters to you, go talk to them about it and say, hey, what are you guys working on this? Can I help? Or what can we do? And 
And uh, those are the groups in your backyard, and they could use all the support they can get. The stuff is spooky. Like, just to hear us talk about it so casually that, yeah, this is possible. Not only is it possible, it's happening right now. That part still blows me a little bit away. So I guess it goes to another question that popped up as we're going through this, right? We see, regardless of laws, <laughs> the government will still find ways to sneak behind and figure out ways to violate said laws. So what can we do from a non-law standpoint? Is there anything technology-wise that you would recommend or something that folks can start to do right now so they're better maintaining their privacy? Yeah, that's a tough question. I mean, we're literally carrying surveillance devices in our pockets. Right. <laughs> uh, I, I spoke at a conference a couple months ago and the individual had a dumb phone, uh, one of the old flip phones, because he didn't want to be tracked. He just wanted to make calls. And granted, his calls are still being tracked in a sense that the cell phone tower is able to say, you know, where he was roughly when he connected with them. But, uh, but this is the unfortunate thing about our society. There are so many trade-offs for convenience mm. where our phones and our computers do all kinds of amazing things to simplify and, uh, and, and, you know, make our lives enjoyable. And so in contrast or in a trade-off to enjoy these uh, amazing technologies, the government has access to them. And, and so it's very difficult. I mean, at a minimum, you got to be using like a VPN. Um, you want to be uh, trying to mask your location, your search activity and all these things. Um, you know, dumb phone is kind of an extreme measure, but look, if you're going to go to the Capitol for some kind of protest, maybe leave your phone in the hotel room or something. I don't know, you know, be judicious about if I'm going to piss off the government, <laughs> maybe I should minimize their ability to, uh, to search on me. It's so sad that people see, Oh, I have nothing to hide. You know, I'm not a criminal. So what do I care? And people have just kind of shrugged as it comes to their privacy. Literally, I'm, I'm looking out my window right now on the other side of my laptop. And I can see from my office window, it's about uh, five or six miles away up nestled here in the mountains of Bluffdale, Utah, is the NSA's facility. This facility goes like stories and stories underground um, deep into the mountain where they can have these uh, computers, these servers all cooled more easily. That is where our data is stored. They have NSA facilities across the country. This one is basically the big series of hard drives where even this conversation probably and yep. so much of uh, what we do online is being archived into what Ed Snowden calls a permanent record, which is kind of like these geofence warrants. It's just your permanent locate your, your permanent record of your historical location. And so what, we, what can we do? Well, I think we got to be using things like VPNs and other technologies to mask our location, mask our activity, even if you're doing nothing wrong, yes. because chances are you are doing something wrong. There's so many laws, so many regulations on the book that if a, a prosecutor, if an investigator wants to come after you, they can find a way to do it. And so we should really try and minimize their ability to do that by using some of these technologies that can maybe mitigate some of the issues. Uh, but definitely, if you're going to go protest the government, uh, maybe not take your phone with you and that'll give you a leg up. Oh, man, Connor, I hate the fact that we even have to have this conversation. Um, it, right? it's, it's like with the, and this is part of like the double edged sword. As we go further and further and we have our little smart devices here, right? And the technology gets better and better and better. Part of the problem with that is that it gives government more ammunition and more resources to then go after us. So while we're still fighting a good fight and we're actually, we're, we're making steps in advancements with the technology, it still sometimes feels like we're still taking two steps forward, one step back or three steps back or 10 steps back with whatever program the government decides to put in place. So, I mean, I guess this is why we have to keep on fighting, right? And, and this is why in sales, 
in politics, in business, in life. If you're not growing, if you're not fighting, you're losing, you're you're dying. You have to continuously move forward. So thank you for what you guys are doing over at the Libertas Institute, obviously fighting the good fight from a legal standpoint, but also helping change the culture. So we're changing the way we're talking about this because the fact that this is even like the conversation means that we as a society must be tacitly okay with it. We've gotten to the point where we have abdicated such responsibility or personal responsibility in this case of trying to maintain our own privacy that we have neglected to see what actually is being done with our data. And in this case, to your point, it's being put into servers for a permanent record. That's creepy. That's like dystopian Dolores Umbridge from Harry Potter thing happening, (laughs) only it's real. What? What are we doing? So that's my final thoughts, I guess, as we wrap things up today. Connor, what final thoughts do you have for us? Hopefully some optimism, some proverbial white pill. Well, uh, you know, freedom that isn't defended is eroded. And so if we care about freedom, it has to be defended. It's not going to defend itself. Um, and look, everyone's busy. They've got jobs. They've got other focus. That's why organizations like mine and those other ones I mentioned at SPN exist is to kind of centralize people's financial support and, and limited time they can offer and try and do some good with it. So my call to action would be like, if you're frustrated with things in your community, your state, if you didn't like how they dealt with COVID, if you don't like what the feds are doing, with you know January 6th or whatever, right? Go get involved. It doesn't have to be a lot of time. At a minimum, follow these organizations on social media, join their email list, see if there's any events coming up, start to dip your toe in the water because the more of us that do that, the better we're gonna chance we're gonna have at defending freedom. We can't do this alone. We need a huge coalition of people. We need people who understand sales and marketing and persuasion and the tools of influence, communication. Uh, we need a lot more people. I mean, our organization is able to do a lot, but we could do so much more with so many more people. So consider this an invitation for all of you listening to get involved, even in just small ways and dip your toe in the water. You'll start to warm up to it. You'll do more and more and even bigger things. I used to be a web developer. I don't know what I'm running this think tank with like 85 people working here. I don't know what I'm doing. I was just a dude that got involved a little bit and then it led to something else and then something else. So anyone can do it if I can do it. And so that's my call to action is just engage. Go connect with these organizations and see where it leads. Amen. Well, folks, there's your call to action for today's episode. And if you feel so compelled, well, please, obviously, go ahead and do that. But also... Spread the message, spread the word, share today's episode. And when you do, please go ahead, tag yours truly at B Nichols Liberty. Connor, where can folks go ahead, support you, but also go ahead and follow the amazing organization that is the Libertas Institute and your awesome content you guys are putting out there like the Tuttle Twins. Thank you. So yeah, Tuttle Twins, Libertas Institute, just search for these on your favorite social media channel or my name, Connor Boyack. Uh, We're posting all the time, trying to educate people and move the message forward. So I would encourage everyone to go connect with us and see how we can be helpful to you in the future. Perfect. Well, folks, if you got some value from today's episode, do me a favor. Beyond giving it a share, please go ahead, support Connor and his amazing organization. They are doing such great work. And and if you have not had the chance yet, go buy some Tuttle Twins. This stuff is exactly what we need in order to help change the culture. We change the culture by changing the conversations. We change the conversations by actually making a difference and doing things differently. It requires us to make a change. So it actually, it requires folks like Connor and the Liberstis Institute to actually go ahead and lead by example. So folks, please help support folks who are leading by example financially. This isn't free, right? We, and, and if it was free, oh my goodness, it would it'd be a lot easier, I'm sure. But unfortunately, that's not how it works. We have to be able to support this stuff. So please go out with your hard-earned dollars and support those who are fighting the good fight, leading the path forward for liberty. We, we need to do this together as a 
team. I know, libertarians, guys, get together as a team, work together, because we're going to fall apart if we don't. And, and we're at a point right now, I don't think we can really play this game too much longer without seeing some really na nasty stuff come down the pike here. So uh, with that being said, Connor, thank you for joining us. And folks, if you got value from today's episode, join us on another episode starting right here where I sat down, yes, with Connor Boyack. And we talked all things about the Libertas Institute as well as the Tuttle Twins. That's over here on YouTube. If you're joining us here on the podcast version of the show, click that artwork in your podcast catcher. It'll bring you over to briannicholshow.com where you can find today's episode, all nearly 700 episodes of the Brian Nichols Show. And oh, by the way, uh, when you're there, do us a favor, hit a five-star rating and review and tell us why you enjoy listening to five episodes per week. Love to hear about it. So that's all we have for you today. With that being said, Brian Nichols signing off here on the Brian Nichols Show for Connor Boyack. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com. Enjoying the audio version of the show? Then you'll love our YouTube channel. Be sure to head over there and subscribe. And if you're new to The Brian Nichols Show, be sure to head to your favorite podcast catcher and click download all unplayed episodes so you don't miss one of our nearly 500 episodes that will be sure to leave you educated, enlightened, and informed. If you got value from today's episode, can you do me a favor and head to briannicholsshow.com forward slash support and leave us a $5 donation? And by the way, have you given the show a five-star review yet? If not, head to Apple Podcasts and tell folks why you listen to the program and don't forget to tell your friends to subscribe too. Follow me on social media at B Nichols Liberty. And again, if you'd be so kind, please consider making a donation to the Brian Nichols Show at briannicholsshow.com forward slash support.